Hi there, I'm Marcy Hamilton, and I am the founder and CEO of Child USA, which is a national nonprofit think tank to end child abuse and neglect. We put together the best social science with the best legal analysis to get the best policies to help children. We are interested in ending child sex abuse, child abuse, uh, including both physical and emotional abuse, uh, and also child neglect, failure to feed, failure to educate, failure to provide medical treatment. This is what Child USA focuses on, and this is our podcast, A Voice for the Kids. It's time for children to be paid attention to. And what we at Child USA are doing is putting children at the policy decision table. Uh, and so I hope you enjoy these podcasts. Um, there was some of the leading experts and interesting thinkers in the country on the civil rights movement for children. So today we'll be talking to Dr. Christine Dunleavy. She is a mental health specialist, someone who is daily dealing with what the heck do we do about our students in schools in the midst of a pandemic? Dr. Christine Dunleavy earned a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from Westchester University, her master's in counseling psychology and a doctorate of education from Immaculata University, and she holds a certification in school psychology and administration and is more credentialed than uh, just about anybody you'll ever meet in this field, which is why She's the keynote speaker for this year's Pennsylvania Association for College Admissions Counselors. And she has some incredible insights. We've been very fortunate uh, to have her do a blog post for Child USA. Um, and she even did a Q&A for the membership portal. So I really think that you'll find her informative. She's a member of the care team at uh, Conestoga High School. And she has been pulling together information about how kids can go back to school safely from a variety of districts uh, in Pennsylvania, and of course, is actively involved in putting together the policies in her own district. So we are delighted to have her today, and I think every parent needs to hear this message. So thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So... If you could just tell the audience, what are your current thoughts about back to school? And, and I guess, I, I, I take it we should differentiate between the elementary kids and the high school kids. Just, so what, what are you thinking right now uh, as we face kind of a challenging time? Um, what I'm hearing the most and what I'm thinking the most from listening to the stakeholders, the parents, the educators, the teachers at all developmental levels is this outright concern for safety. Are children going to be safe if they return back to the building? Can administration ensure the safety of children in a in-person environment, whether it's blended um, and half the population is in the building at a time? Um, and are the educational needs of students in a virtual digital world being met? And how are they being met? Um, because there are such vast needs of students. And so that is the two primary questions that we are being constantly asked um, in multiple different question formats in multiple ways, but it's the fundamental questions at the core. 
how are children safe, and how are we providing an, a quality education for them in today's environment? So at this stage, which we're right at the beginning of August, uh, 2020 pandemic year, uh, what is your school district doing at this point in terms of whether or not it's all virtual or a mix or, or a hybrid, as I guess they're calling it? Mm-hmm. Most of the surrounding districts that um, I'm keeping an eye on and our district are providing, um, they're beginning off in a slow digital virtual world. So it's going to start virtual for three weeks at our district and then move into the, if the numbers allow, if the safety is available to a, a more hybrid blended program. Um, I think most education, educators recognize that in-person education is the best Mm-hmm. to meet the needs of the majority. Um, so if we can do a blended version that allows us to ensure the safety of children and the protocols that are put forth by the local, state, and federal guidelines, then that is what we want to try to do. Um, unfortunately, some districts can do that in a blended world and others can't. Um, and so we're really, once again, seeing how the educational system is not equitable and right. it impacts different people differently. Um, and COVID really is exposing that right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, so how, how is, uh, I, I know the Philadelphia School District just announced that it is going to ensure that every student has access to the internet uh, and a means of getting to the internet, uh, which uh, just, you know, we, at Child USA, that is one of the things we're most passionate about because <laughs> we really worry about these kids that are totally disconnected. Um, from their mandated reporters, but also from everybody else. Um, what, what's your school district, or, or what are you seeing around uh, the state of Pennsylvania in terms of that kind of initiative? So we're seeing in suburban school districts the abilities, those that are more affluent, the ability to just to do that. But then we're seeing pockets in Pennsylvania who don't have the connectivity, even if they have the resources to offer the digital, the computers, the one-on-one devices, they may not have the connectivity to do that. So it really then, of course, in, I'm in a suburban area that is affluent. And so the local school districts around me are able to provide that. Um, I think you bring up an excellent point, and it's definitely my concern is, even in a virtual world, in a digital world, if that's how we're starting or where we might need to continue, what training are we providing our teachers to find indicators of potential abuse, indicators where children aren't maybe emotionally flourishing. It's different than in person when you can see those behavioral changes. Teachers have always been at the forefront of recognizing abuse or suspected abuse and informing us, and all specialists and counselors or child line that this is happening, but how are we gonna do that in a digital world? I'm hearing and I'm looking at the different plans and they're all saying, yep, counselors are available, mental health specialists are available. But we're only as good as the information that we receive. So how are we training teachers to capture these visual, visual, what I call digital indicators of abuse? That's, I mean, that's desperately needed. Uh, and, and of course, the kids that aren't connected. I mean, I, I guess what this pandemic has shown us is that we have a whole swath of children across the United States that are not on the internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that means they're being disabled now from being competitive, uh, you know, college, working. uh, It it really is. I I think the whole 
country assumes that there's this blanket of connectivity, but obviously there isn't. Right. Um, so what about those kids? Are, are, are they at least, could, could we at least um, get them access through a phone? I mean, is there anything we can do for them? And, and we are, we're seeing the students, um, Grant, you're under emergency plan in the spring. So it wasn't as planned organized as we are entering into the fall. So counselors were making phone calls. Administrators would knock on doors to kids who have not been, um, who had not either logged on or contacted via phone. A teacher or an administrator calls were happening. But again, haves and have nots in a small, in a smaller district where you can reach out to your students personally or even do a home visit or ask an officer to do a well-being check if you haven't heard from a child or a family in a while. That's not always what's going to happen in a larger district. And so those needs go unmet again. Um, our educational system has not been equitable and continues not to be equitable. And it, and it does perpetuate you know, systematic racism and systematic oppression. And so I, 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 this is a time that I think we're really organically dismantling the educational system because of COVID. Yep. So isn't it a great time to really look at those questions and maybe explore how we're addressing them, whether they're in person, whether it's blended um, it, or virtual. Um, these continue to be ongoing needs that we have to address and have not addressed. And I think it's hard for legislators and educational leaders to look at that. Yeah. COVID has exposed it yeah. pretty significantly. Well, you know what? Uh... I guess what we've really figured out is the bottom line is every child should have a right to uh, some kind of device and connectivity. Correct. Um, and, you know, in, in that universe, um, you know, a, a child may well be able to click on an icon and get help. The child who is not connected is, is hyper isolated, even if they're living in a city. Yes. And so, um, and, and I, I agree, I, I think this is a haves and haves nots, have nots, but what, um, but it's also a call to action for all districts to figure this out. I mean, what about, uh, what do you think about prioritizing in class for the kids who don't have connectivity and stay homes for the ones who actually do have this access? And again, I think in districts, um, unfortunately, like ours, they are looking at more individualized programming for those students that are more severely disabled, who mm -hmm. have greater needs, who, are, who may not be able to have connectivity. So they are looking at that. They are questions that are being posed by educators. Um, I feel like it's very fortunate, my, um, the educational leaders in this area that I've been monitoring and watching, they're asking for stakeholders information and getting those kind of questions and then changing and making address addressing them really actively saying, wow, we didn't think of that. Thank you. Let me go back to our board and change the plan. Um, so I am seeing that happen. Um, but again, I'm seeing it happen in a very privileged, affluent school district area. Um, I recognize that as my lens. Um, and, and it's interesting to see for the first time, parents in this area are forced to be challenged with how do I ensure my child's safety and get a quality education? Now, this is not a challenge that others, others have faced that challenge already, whether it's not because of the virus, but maybe it's unsafe school violence or unsafe buildings where yep. they've had to have those competing um, charges. 
Um, so this is the first thing that suburban areas that these educational leaders are actually having to face these competing charges that don't coexist cohesively. Right. Children being safe and well-educated right now is not cohesively fitting. This year, Child USA launched its first ever membership portal. The portal is a collection of books, videos, articles, and online resources, all intended to help survivors heal, learn, and build resiliency in their lives. It is the only library made for survivors and curated by CSA experts. Googling blindly for information on child sex abuse can be overwhelming and at the end of the day, unhelpful. So, Child USA has done the research to locate the resources that will be the most helpful to you. Whether you are a survivor, a family member, or someone who works with children like a coach or a teacher, this is a place where you can browse, learn, and relax in peace. For just $25 a year, you can become a member now. Along with our curated resource lists, portal members have access to exclusive content, including expert Q&As, featured art by survivors, and a video version of the podcast you're listening to right now. We hope you join us. Visit childusa.org slash members to sign up now. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the episode. So how have the, the boards, the, the boards and the superintendents been in your view in terms of, uh, and not your district in particular, but just generally have, is, is it all over the map? in terms of leaping to the challenge or just kind of sitting back and seeing what's going to happen? Um, I think they're doing an outstanding job in the districts that I'm familiar with around this area. They're under tremendous pressure. They are looking at the information that they're getting from both local state and national health organizations regarding the standards of safety. And they are doing their best to meet those standards, even though they keep evolving, the plan keeps evolving and changing. Um, they're doing their best to look at both charges, keeping children safe, providing a quality education, and how do we do this in an uncertain, evolving time? Um, they're, they're answering questions. I mean, there are times, I think, um, over the last three days, uh, school board meetings have lasted till 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning in an attempt to listen to the stakeholders, hear their questions. But as we know, as mental health specialists, um, during uncertain times, really anxiety is produced. And then um, I recently was listening to Lynn Lyons, who's a, a licensed clinical social worker who put together a program for parents and how to handle anxiety during a pandemic. And she really reminded us that anxiety in general demands two things. It, it demands this need for certainty. I want to know what's going to happen next and I want to be in control of it. And it demands this need for comfort. I want to be safe. And those two things are disrupted right now. And so anxiety is really high. And so regardless of how many questions, how many answers, how much planning we do, we're left with this uncertainty and it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable at its core. So, you know, the, the way the world works is that we always focus on the adults and what they're doing and how, how they're dealing with everything and, and solving. From your perspective, how are the kids doing? I, I mean, um, you know, I'm sure they had more time off than they ever expected in the spring. They've had whatever summer they've had. They may be going back to school, but they seem to be going back to school with a kind of a message of, hey, 
now you really have to go to school remotely, whether, whatever that means. What are you hearing about how kids are feeling about this? So it was interesting in the spring, um, I was on a lot of Zoom calls across the country with different counselors. And what we saw initially is our students that were clinically diagnosed with depression, anxiety, had an actual calm impact for the first couple month, for the first month to six weeks. They were able to get more sleep. They weren't dealing with the anxieties in the building or the pressure of how to manage a mental health illness and get, get educated. So they actually had a caught their breath and actually felt better than they had in the building at times. And so that was an interesting effect. Our worried well students, our students who, you know, really define themselves by their classes and their sports, experience such loss and disconnectedness that really their anxiety and even some depressed episodes kind of manifested. Um, and so that was really what the spring felt like. Um, and then of course, our marginalized students, our students in our LGBTQ, LGBTQ communities um, felt very isolated. You know, sometimes in the school, that's where they feel the safest, um, where they can be maybe their true self if their family isn't aware of um, what their sexual state, their sexuality is, or what their transgender, if they're transgender, if the families aren't aware of that in the building, they're being their true self. So they felt very isolated, the students that I was speaking to in the spring. Um, students now through the summer, they, they want to get back. They want to, they want to learn. They want to see their friends. They want to do it safely. They're worried about their safety too. Um, they want to make sure it's, it is a safe environment. Obviously we have some who aren't taking it as seriously. We're seeing those reports, but for the most part, students recognize that I'm working with that this is a serious virus that is contagious and they want to make sure that they're doing it safe. Um, they're getting educated safely. Um, they yep. want to get back to school. They're concerned about missing classes and what that means mm -hmm. both short-term and long-term. But I would say that the difference is children don't tend, our children aren't as, not catastrophizing perhaps as much as the adults are. Right. You know, the adults are, made, are catastrophizing a little bit more than the students. The students are like, okay, I can catch up. I can do this. I'll be able to figure this out and move forward if this doesn't continue too long. Mm. Um, if this continues too long, that anxiety and that concern gets more heightened. Right. Right. So, um, how, how does, uh, you know, it's been funny to listen to, to parents, uh, on these issues, um, you know, on two sides, I have heard from parents that have said, what the heck is wrong with everybody? Of course, a six-year-old will go to school and wear a mask. That's what six-year-olds do. They like rules. They follow rules. You know, the six, the seven, the eight-year-olds, um, not at all concerned. And then I've heard from other parents who said, you could never get my six-year-old to wear a mask. In fact, I haven't even let my kid out of the house since March because they won't wear a mask. So what is your expectation of uh, kids and the trainability uh, to, to make sure that they do wear a mask uh, for most of the day when they're not socially distanced. I do think that we have to model that behavior that we want to see. And you're right. If we model it and we make it a part of the day, we make it a part of the morning program to do your clean your hands, wipe down your desk, have your mask on. Kids do follow our model. Um, and I think that we can effectively model that. The issue that we're seeing is not all adults are bought into that. So the modeling has been inconsistent. 
So it doesn't surprise me that the children's behavior has been inconsistent. Um, so I think when you're in a school and the school it has the mandate that all the adults have to be wearing it, majority of the children will be wearing it. Those who are not will be reminded to put the mask back on and that modeling behavior will ensure that. Right. But I can't guarantee that, right? And that's where the anxiety comes for parents. Well, my kid won't listen, or I know there's kids out in the community that are not listening. And that what if, what if, what if anxiety just builds. Um, and until we're in the building and doing it, I can't give you data to show that it can work. Right. So, I mean, isn't it kind of like uh, being disruptive in the classroom? If you don't do it, don't you just get sent to the principal's office? So, you know, yes and no. We ask for classroom management. We don't want to just send everyone to a principal's <laughs> office. You know, um, we want the teacher to manage their classroom. And, and, and generally speaking, majority of classrooms follow order. And kids follow the model that is put forth. We don't mm -hmm. have severely disrupted kids within the school system because we're developing those models, what is expected, and people are doing it. So I... I think that we saw what a great social, um, we saw that happening. You know, we saw all of a sudden, no, masks weren't needed to mask were. And the majority of this area, at least in Pennsylvania, you walk down the streets, people had their mask on. You go into grocery store, people were maintaining six feet distance, you know, turning to a different aisle or moving to a different side of the road if people didn't have a mask on. So that modeling behavior was expected and it happened. I'm an optimist. I will always <laughs> find a solution for whatever problem you suggest. There's got to be a way for us to address it and move forward. Well, I, I agree. There absolutely has to be a way for everybody to figure out they can wear a mask. Uh, I mean, there certainly is no constitutional right not to, um, despite some of the silly talk that's out there. Um, but I, I guess uh, all uh, discussions with parents will be online. Uh, you're seeing the discussions, you know, I follow different Facebook groups from different, you know, at colleges to edu you know, to the high school level to the, and, and some are very negative and saying, absolutely no, 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 this will never work. And then some are like, let's figure it out and get on board. We have to do this to make sure everyone's safe. And, and so I think you're always going to have those outliers, you know, the bell curve exists in every area. So we again need to, and I think that's where the safety and that's, this is the anxiety. When you have a virus that is as contagious, those outliers become really scary because mm -hmm. it only takes one, right? Or two to right. enter perhaps a, a 25 person room or a 12 person room. Um, so that's the concern as to why we have to maintain our social distancing in the classrooms, use our protective uh, personal equipment to make sure it's clean and sanitized, use our mask, do our social responsibility individually. That's what we have control over. On October 22nd, join Child USA for our fourth annual awards ceremony. This year, the event will be 100% virtual, but that doesn't mean that it won't be a night to remember. With your ticket purchase, a fun, festively wrapped party box will be delivered to your address to enhance your live viewing experience. The party box includes an artisanal charcuterie spread, handcrafted chocolates, an exclusive Child USA stemless wine glass, and much more. Join us for this inspiring and uplifting event from wherever you are in the world as we honor a handful of heroes who have made strides in the arena of child protection.
visit childusa.org slash annual event 2020 to get your tickets now. That's childusa.org slash annual event 2020. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the episode. Well, in your district, how are the teachers feeling? I mean, there are districts across the country where the teachers are just basically saying, no, uh, we're not going in right now. Uh, what are you hearing a mix? Are, are people basically okay? What's the, what's the temperature of the teachers at this point? I, it's the same temperature as the parents and the children. People are scared. Um, how are we going to maintain safety? What is, you know, can we ensure a safe environment? Do we have enough protective equipment to make sure it's a safe environment? How are we going to make sure that children wear their masks? Um, it's interesting to me, whether you're a parent, whether you're an educator, or whether you're an administrator, the basic foundational concern is the same. Are we right. safe? Um, and so, of course, that question is heightened for teachers who may have personal illness or immune systems that are compromised or are coming home to individuals who have immune systems that are compromised. So each individual teacher has a different perspective as well. Um, the teachers with small kids. So I, I, you know, you're getting an array of different responses because it's this uncertain, unknown, scary environment. Um, everyone wants a guarantee and we just can't give that. So we're all charged to do the best we can, but then it's like I'm sitting here asking you to compromise your child's safety in order to ensure an education. Who wants to be in that world? What right. educator, what educational leadership wants to create a plan that potentially compromises a child's safety? They don't. The teacher doesn't want to be put in that position. We don't want to put our children in that position. So, I, again, I, based on a, the different districts that I'm surrounded by, I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to tap in and hear the different, you know, parents and educators um, and superintendents' responses. It's the same pulse. Um, right. It's the same pulse. You know, they're scared. So they're scared, but it seems to me that um... – and, and that's rational at this point. Yes. Um, should I, I'm wondering, should districts in the spring have just decided, you know what, we've just got to make online education 500% better. Um, we've got to find the ways to do this. And we all should just basically assume this is going to go on until the end of this year. Would that have been a better... Uh, time expenditure than, you know, the, well, we'll do this hybrid or that hybrid or whatever. What, why, why not just make it really good online education in a district like yours where everybody has connectivity? And, and not everyone has con connectivity, but um, majority do, yes. Um, I, I would say that, you know, one, I, I try really hard not to Monday morning quarterback um, situation. So I think hindsight is always greater and greater. Um, I think at the core, people recognize that the research indicates that online learning is not the best modality. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's this natural hope and we were watching and looking at the health organizations to see if the virus was going to flatten. We were taking information from experts that was evolving. And so I do know that districts were looking at their virtual platforms and how to make them more um, intense, more strengthened, more valuable. But Ultimately, the desire was to get back to a blended or in-person classroom because it meets the majority of the needs of students. Um, 
So it's just better. I mean, basically what you're saying is that in-person education is just simply better than online. So I think no one was going to abandon that and put all of their efforts into one basket because that's Mm -hmm. not the modality we want. Um, But I do believe time was spent and continues to be spent. And we're seeing districts um, utilizing now, like if they're opening later, our district is doing a late opening, you know, at this point in hopes that they can open in person, blend it by the end of September. Um, So they're using that time span to enhance their virtual platform. Um, Other districts have made the decision that they're waiting until we come back November to maybe a blended if the numbers allow if there's enough safety protection equipment to provide a blended environment. They're utilizing the time to get together and do workshops to enhance the virtual platform. But ultimately, everyone wants to get students back in the building. <laughs> and that's, where we, that's where our heart lies. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm so sympathetic to that. I mean, we, we've just been trying to have one staff meeting a week in person, all spread around my yard. Yes. Uh, and it rains every Friday. So, uh, that's, <laughs> you know... There's only so much you can control in this world. Sadly, the weather is not one of them, and neither is this lovely virus so far. No, no um, it's not. And, and again, that's where the anxiety comes from. We don't have control over this, and, and we want to. We, want, right. we naturally want that desire to control, and that's where then that almost obsessive need for questions of how, mm-hmm. how, how comes from that intense need to have control. If we have enough information, if we have enough um, questions answered, then I'll feel in control and somehow I'll feel better about making these decisions for my children. Right. And it just isn't happening in this uncertainty. So, so basically what, I, what I'm hearing your message is, um, is actually very calming to me in the sense that, look, it's just, it is what it is, right? In March in my kitchen, I put up a plaque that says, it is what it is. That's basically... And we all just have to accept the fact that we have to adjust yep. constantly. So I, that is the message that I've been saying to both my colleagues as well as the clients that I work with and the students that I work with is that this is the situation we are in. Nobody likes it. Not, there's not one administrator, one teacher, one parent, one child that likes it. So we have to look at what do we have control over. We have control over our response to this circumstance. And look at daily successes that we can do get yourself on a healthy schedule because obviously specifically with teenagers they all became vampires and they all stayed up you know they're going to bed real real late and staying asleep all day um you know get yourself into a healthy pattern go out and walk and exercise in a healthy way there are ways to do it Mm -hmm. um find those ways because they promote health and and that's really my message you know we can be angry about it. We can be scared about it. We can validate those emotions. But at the end of the day, we're in the situation. How are we going to get through it together? What do you need to do personally to be the be- your best self and healthy? And start there because you have control over it. I, I love that message. Um, but both a combination of uh, make sure that you're getting the, enough sleep and everybody's sleeping at, at times that are healthy for them. Uh, Make sure you're eating healthy. I think that, you know, it's been uh, a mix of uh, what's easy to make and, and, but what's really healthy. And I think that a lot of parents have uh, had to figure that out uh, at the same time. And uh, so 
I'd like to just close with, give us your best advice in a nutshell for getting through the rest of this year, which is, you know, basically looks like we're, we're in it for the rest of the year. I think you have to meet the challenge where it is at. Recognize it is what it is, like you said. Don't fight too much against the fact of the things that you don't have control over and spend time there. That creates hopelessness. When we're focusing on the things that we don't have control over, we become hopeless. It then leads us to more depression. If we're focusing on the anxiety of the uncertainty and trying to control it, that also leads to hopelessness. So my message is every day get up, take care of today to the best of your ability, meet your responsibilities and your expectations, go to bed at a healthy time, take in a lot of water, make sure you're eating well. You know, if you have the privileges of those things with recognizing that not all of us do um, during this time, but there are the things that you can center and be empowered on. Fantastic. Thank you so much. This has been so interesting. Thank uh, you for and I, us. Oh, Happy everybody day. needs to hear this message of, you know, you know, we get the fact of the anxiety, yep. but guess what? We just have to adjust and we have to do the best we can at the moment we've got. And I, I think that is really um, a, a really healthy way for everybody to start the school year. We validate the anxiety, we validate the, you know, the fear, but then we move forward with what we can do to be flexible in addressing it. Thank you so much. Thanks for what you do. Thank you. Thank you. It's my privilege. Thank you for what you do. We're getting there. (laughs) Yes, we are. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Join us in upcoming episodes of our podcast, uh, Voice for the Kids, when we will be highlighting the amazing honorees, the Child USA Annual Awards. They will be part of our ceremony on October 22nd, and I know you will find them quite amazing. Here's a podcast that I am really looking forward to uh, with New York Times bestseller, Jennifer Niven and her husband, Justin Conway. Now, I knew Justin Conway first. He is one of our Child USA ambassadors and a leader in statute of limitations reform in the United States. We will be talking about Jennifer's new book. We'll be talking about Justin's efforts to increase justice for victims. And the fun part is that the new book actually includes fictionalized elements of their meeting and falling in love. So I am really looking forward to talking to Jennifer and to Justin, and I hope you'll join us on A Voice for the Kids.